my name is Sean Nepstead, by the way. My wife and I help pastor this church called Fellowship Church. Two words God's given us. If you know them, shout them out with me, everybody together. Hope for tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I messed you up. <laughs> I haven't eaten in a while. That's, that's the issue. No, let's say it all out loud. There. Here we go. Hope and healing. Hope for your tomorrow and healing from your 2017. We're so grateful that God gives us the ability to be healed. Today, I want to welcome you to part two of our series entitled Refresh. Somebody say refresh. I want to grab your notes out, grab a pen. I think it's important to take notes. I think you have a better success rate of going to heaven when you take notes. <clears throat> no, no, I'm kidding, of course, but it does help you to remember what we talked about. And a verse that really has become a life verse for a lot of people, a great verse to start off the new year is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That says, trust in the Lord with a little bit of your heart. Come on, shout it out with me, everybody. It's all of your heart. What if 2018 was different? What if we didn't just give God a little? What if we gave him all of our heart? And then he says, do not lean to your own understanding. Come on, wave at me, all you type A personalities, always trying to fix it yourself, take control. Listen, there's some things that we can't fix and, and do ourselves. We need God in 2018. Let's not lean to our own understanding and try to figure it out. But in all of our ways, all of our ways, let's submit to him. And here's the guarantee. He said, I'll make your crooked path straight. Okay, wave at me again. How many could use some direction in 2018, right? Okay, there's a, there's a three-step process. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge and submit to him. And the guarantee is he would make your paths straight. Turn and tell somebody it's a process. Come on, turn and tell somebody it's a process. It's a process. You know, the Internet is an incredible invention. We have the power of the World Wide Web at our fingertips. Wireless connection. And this generation doesn't appreciate it as much as they should. This generation has no idea what we used to have to do back in the day just to go on and find a movie showtime. Come on, talk back to me, somebody who knows. There was no Siri. There was no talking into your little smartphone device and, and going on there and accessing in seconds every movie, every movie theater, and every showtime around the country that you wanted. You had to scrounge up a dollar, go to the store and buy a newspaper. That's like words on a paper. And then you had to bring it home, spread it out over your dining room table, and find the movie you wanted to go to. How many remember those days? Or you can call the movie hotline. That was a challenge. Because they would then list out and say all of the movies that were playing in alphabetical order. Like, don't, God forbid you were watching like Zootopia. <laughs> be 30 minutes online waiting for them to get through all the movies. And they, they read the times so slowly. It'd be like this. It'd be like this. Lord of the Rings. Playing at 11 o'clock. 12.15. 1.30. 2.15. I mean, you would just be going bonkers, crazy, thinking, is there not a fast-forward button somewhere? And Don't let somebody in the room be talking while your movie came up, because if you missed your movie showtime, you had to hang up and start the whole process over again. Like, this generation will never know the pain of this sound right here. Wait for it. Like, 
You say, what in the world is that sound? I told our creative team, hey, find that sound. They're like, what are you talking about? What is that sound? That's the sound we have to use to listen to just to dial up access to the internet connection. Come on, if you're over 35, turn and tell somebody the struggle was real. The struggle was so real. That's what we used to have to go through. Now, we get Wi-Fi in seconds, and we get a little spoiled because we expect it to be that way and that fast all the time. We want it to be fast all the time, and when it's not, we don't know how to act. We freak out. Like, what's wrong with your Wi-Fi, bro? What's wrong with your internet connection here? It's not downloaded. Can't download. Can't download a picture on Instagram. And God forbid you try to open up a new page, and then you get that little buffering wheel from HE Double Hockey Sticks. Oh, my goodness. And your page won't open? Oh, that's so frustrating. It's so funny because you don't take no for an answer. You click the refresh icon. And when you click the refresh icon, what's supposed to happen is that page is supposed to refresh the page that you originally and intentionally wanted to open in the first place. And many times it doesn't do it the first time. And so what do we do? Do you turn around and walk away? Nope. You click it again and again and again, and again, and every time you click, you know the next time is going to bring up about something new. The next click is going to bring a new page. It's funny because many times we have more faith in our internet connection than we do our God. We are convinced, and we will sit there and press refresh again and again, and many times we pray one time, and if God doesn't answer when we want him to, we say, forget that. He's not here. God, where is God? Where is he? I don't even know if he exists anymore. What would happen if we began to put trust back in our Savior and ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, and the door will be open? Come on, is there anybody in the room that has been motivated to trust him again? And if that, if that machine called a computer or a phone in your hand, if you press refresh and it doesn't do it again, many times you're stuck there confused and not really sure why. I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is not the refresh icon. The problem is your connection. Some of you know where I'm going with this because the Bible says in John 15, Jesus says, hey, remain in me. Don't just visit me. Remain in me. I will also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Come on, somebody shout vine. vine. Come on, say vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branch. Jesus is the vine. We are branches. Say that with me. Jesus is the vine. We are branches. And the moment that we disconnect from the source, the vine, we're disconnected, we begin to die spiritually. Come on, we are branches. Turn and tell somebody I'm a branch and show them I'm a branch. What? It's my branch. A lot of us think we can do it by ourselves. We, we disconnect from the source. We disconnect from the Savior, disconnect from the vine or the connection, and it doesn't work. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter how badly I want refreshment and how badly I want connection and to refresh a new page in my life. If I don't have the proper connection with Jesus, it ain't happening. Because without connection, there can be no refreshment. But here's the good news. With the right connection with Jesus, refreshment will automatically come. Have you ever been in a, in a big building before and all of a sudden you, you're close to like the Wi-Fi modem and you get really fast Wi-Fi internet connection? And then you turn around and walk into another part of the building and you lose signal? What do you do? Well, you get mad for a second, you refresh, refresh, and then you realize. The problem is not the refresh button. 
The problem is proximity. (laughs) And so you don't just stay there and keep walking further away and expect something else to change. You actually backtrack and move closer to to the source. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the answer to your problem is not your refresh button. The problem is proximity. So the answer is simply this, move closer to Jesus. James, the half-brother, Jesus says in James, he says, listen, we now have the ability to move closer to God. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. It's a great promise. It's a great promise that we now have the ability to do that because Jesus Christ opened up the door for us to come to God. But when you come to God, after you come to God, after you've given your life to him, after you've given your, you place your faith in him and he's forgiven you and restored you and refreshed you, he's going to ask you to do something. Because after you establish connection with him for yourself, he says, I don't want to just do something in you. I want to do something through you. After you establish connection with God, I want you now to take what you have been given and now help other people establish connection with him too. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? Proverbs chapter, no, John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, we have an incredible verse where Peter and the boys, the other disciples, are there on the beach. You've heard of the Last Supper? This is the last breakfast. Jesus died. He rose, and he shocked everybody, and they're having a conversation on the beach. All the disciples thought Jesus was a goner, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, the deal is still on. And so now we have a conversation as Jesus is looking at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, of course, you know, I've been following you for three years. I love you. And Jesus didn't take his word for it. He says, no, 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 I'll, I'll know that you love me if or when you take care of my lambs, feed my lambs. They eat a little bit more. Peter's dipping his, his fish sticks into the tartar sauce. It sounds really good right about now. They're in the fasting time, doesn't it? How many tear up some fish sticks right about now? I would eat my flip-flop if it was deep fried right now. Anyway. <laughs> So Peter's there. Jesus already asked him once. He now asks him a second time. Do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, of course you know I love you. And Jesus didn't take his word for it a second time. He says, no, 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 I'll know that you love me when you take care of my sheep. Third time, are you starting to feel a little uncomfortable for Peter? Because this is not a private conversation. This is in front of the fellas on the beach and, and all of this is going on, and Peter's like, can we not just have a conversation and enjoy our time? But Jesus is trying to get to the root of the issue because he knows, Peter, if you don't get this right, I'm about to ascend into heaven, and I can't use you to the effectiveness that I want to if you don't understand the purpose for which I've created you. Do you love me, Peter? And this time, Peter's mortified. He even tries to impress Jesus with some theology. He's like, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus a third time says, no, 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 I don't know that, I, that you love me, but I will know that you love me when you feed my sheep. Now, this is a little different type of passage, a little confusing at first glance. Have you ever read something or Jesus ever talked to him like, hey, I want you to do this? And you're like, what, what do you mean? What does this even mean, Jesus? What is Jesus talking about? Because he wasn't talking about, nah, sheep. He's talking about, he's talking about people. He wasn't talking about lambs, lambs. He's talking about people. 
And this doesn't even make sense to many of us today because many of us have never even seen a sheep up close. But back then, they dealt with shepherds and sheep all the time. And he says, listen, guys, I want to use an analogy. If you want to prove to me that you love me, you can do so by getting involved with the needs and the nurture of people. People are the test, everybody. God knows how much you love him by how you treat people. And I know what you're thinking. I want another test because I don't like people. Come on, how many know people can be difficult to work with sometimes? There was a t-shirt that said, I used to be a people person, but people ruined that for me. <laughs> it's difficult. People are, are they're moody. They're fickle. They're up. They're down. And they're oh, not always easy to work with. But Jesus says, listen, you can scream I love you all you want to. You really don't prove to me that you love me until you treat people with the needs and the nurture that I want to bless you, through you. I need to know if you love me, feed my sheep. This is an interesting challenge to many of us because all of us have been in a place where we have asked the question, Lord, do you, do you, I want you to know that I love you. And we can sing songs. We can read the Bible. Those are all great things. We can even come into a building and hear about God. But at the end of the day, here's the scary thing. The people like me that do this for a living and people like you that involve church and God as a part of your life. Listen, we can be so wrapped up and doing ministry-related stuff. And at the end of the day, Jesus does not feel loved by us. Because he tells us, if you, want, if you want me to know, you have to care about what I care about. And the only thing Jesus cares about is people. Are you getting this say a good amen? amen? Let me say it another way. What's the first question people 30 and under ask when they come into your house? First question is, hey, what's your Wi-Fi password? Can I get the Wi-Fi password? Like they, this generation acts like they can't breathe without the Wi-Fi password. I'm like, hello, hello to you too. I'm a human being. Can you talk to me for a second? I'm like, no, no, no. Sean, what's a Wi-Fi password? And they, they act like if they don't get the Wi-Fi password, they're not going to be able to breathe or live for the next few moments at your house. And many times you don't want to give them the password. And so what do people do? They lie. They say, I don't know it. And the people that come in, you're like, you were just on your phone. Lying. It's not working right now, liar. I mean, don't, don't lie, that's not a good thing. But many people don't want other people to jump onto their Wi-Fi connection because the more people that jump onto their Wi-Fi connection, it slows down their own personal connection. I think that this is a lot of times how we live in life because we're connected to God. He refreshed us. He forgave us. He restored us. We're happy for us. But if you're not careful, it would also stop with us. God didn't want it to stop with us. Matthew 28, 19, our final marching orders before Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, guys, listen, listen. I want you to go. Make disciples everywhere. All nations, every ethnic group, every place. Do this. Do this. Baptize people. Teach them to obey what I've commanded. I want, and if you do this, I'll be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you the four things we do at our church? We, we model them after the plan of God that he's given us. We want people to know God. We're going to tell you about Jesus on a Sunday. We're going to introduce God to your friends. That's why it's important to bring him, because this is a great opportunity for us to help you win your friends to Christ. And then we want you to find freedom. That's through our small groups. And then we want you to go through a growth track. Listen, we had 162 people last Sunday join the church in step one. I think we ought to clap our hands and say a good amen. Welcome them. But don't stop there. 
Because you still won't be fulfilled until you are then joining the dream team and making a difference. That's why God created us. And our heart is this. We see people all the time. Your job, your barbershop, the salon, the coffee shop, the grocery store, your school, your, your friends, your neighbors. We all know people that live their life and they feel stuck, they feel empty, they feel hopeless, and they have a slow connection with God. They are desperately searching for purpose and for meaning and fulfillment. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of times we won't give them the password so that they can be refreshed and have connection with God too. I want you to know that God has put it on our hearts to give them the password for free. We had to clap our hands. I'm preaching about 65% better than you're saying amen today. How many remember the show from the 70s called Password? Come on, wave at me, wave at I, w- I didn't grow up with that. I'm, I'm way too young. But I have seen reruns. And here's the object of the entire game show. They would have two people on each team. And what they would do is one person would give a clue while the other person would be there and they would have to guess And then there'd be that voice that comes over the TV announcer, and he would say, the password is table. And that person would have to guess. And if they didn't know the answer, you know how frustrating it is not knowing the answer, trying to guess the answer? How many like board games? Anybody like board games? Board games are big at our house, but I hate playing board games with my brother-in-law. You know why? Because he blurts out the answer for the other team all the time. You know anybody like that? Like, he's a motorcycle, motorcycle. Dude, you're not even on their team. I know, motorcycle. (laughs) So frustrating. Listen, that might be irritating when it comes to a board game, but I am absolutely convinced that's exactly how God wants us to live our lives because there are people searching, there are people guessing, and we, not, we shouldn't hold back the answer. We ought to say, listen, at the top of our lungs, yes, Jesus Christ changed my life. He could do the same for you. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. He always has been the answer. He is the answer, and he will always be the answer. Jesus Christ has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a relationship relationship plan for you and my God wants to do everything to restore and forgive your life give him the answer because if you love me feed my sheep God we love you and he says get involved in the needs and nurture of people Proverbs 11 says this a generous person will prosper I think that's all of us we want to prosper I don't think any of you woke up this morning is like man I sure hope I fail today we want to prosper. Okay, well, wait a sec. If, if we want to prosper, how do we do that? Which, by the way, biblical generosity, a generous man will prosper. Biblical generosity is this. You're generous, and it, it results in people's lives being changed. So we want to find a generous way so that we can help people. And that's why a lot of businessmen and women love the church because they see the return on their investment. There has not been a Sunday or a service where people have not given their life to Jesus Christ. And when we give, we're generous, we know it's resulting in helping other people know God. Uh, Matter of fact, this last Sunday, we had three churches launch. And one of the churches had 463 people on their first Sunday. They had 38 people give their life to Jesus and 64 people join their growth track. Listen, we're planning three more churches today. A portion of what you give, it goes to planting churches around the nation. All of this is so that we can help people come to God. Okay, watch this, watch this. Then he gives you insight. He says, if you refresh others, you will yourself be refreshed. If you refresh other people, you will be 
refresh. Let me give you a picture in life because sometimes we're dry spiritually. You ever been there? We've all been there where it's a little dry. And when you're dry spiritually, you're not thinking about anybody else. You're just trying to get a drink yourself. It's almost like we go back to third grade. Remember when the teacher said, hey, guys, go get a drink. And everybody would race to the drinking fountain. You wouldn't be all, all the boys at least. Some of the girls were nice, but all the boys, they weren't like, hey, you first. No, 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 you first. No, no, I insist. Third graders, you first. That's not how we were. We're racing as fast as we can, pushing each other out of the play because we want to be first at that drinking fountain to get refreshed first. I remember picture, vivid pictures of kids pushing each other, trying to get a drink, and they're like kicking their friend out of the way. But if you're not careful, that's how we can live life. We say, God, I'm thirsty. I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty. Do something in me. Refresh me. Preach to me. What do you have for me? And if you're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, we feel like the only way to refresh ourselves is to focus on ourselves. And God comes along and flips the scripts and said, no, 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 no. If you want refreshment, I promise you, put somebody else's needs first, and I will personally guarantee your own refreshment. Come on, let's clap our hands and thank God that he knows how to refresh us. And it's interesting because the world will come to you and say, hey, look, look out for number one. Just, just look out for you. But yet nobody has ever lived their life only for them and fulfilled God's purpose for their life. Tweet that. Nobody has ever lived only for themselves and fulfilled God's purpose for their life. Here's what happens when you only focus on your own refreshment. Write this down in your notes. We become very self-centered. We become self-centered. Self is at the center of it all. And we fall into, we saw, we fall into selfie syndrome. You ever been to somebody's Instagram page and you look at all their pictures and all their pictures are, are of them? Like just... Over and, oh, here's another one. Look, look at this person. Oh, how many duck faces can we make? I mean, just so, it's just all about them. That's not how God intended us to live our lives. Matter of fact, if you live your life self-centered, you will find yourself in this next place where you're very lonely. You're lonely. Why? Because it's all about you. Always, always receiving, never giving. I went to Israel last year. Businessman paid for our trip, and my wife and I got the privilege of seeing the Dead Sea. You know what the Dead Sea is? It's a sea where nothing lives because it's 32% salt water. The ocean's about 3% salt water. The Dead Sea is about 32% salt water. You get in it, and you just float automatically. It's so much salt. Why? Why is it the Dead Sea? I'll tell you why. Because it has streams coming into the sea, but it does not have streams and an outlet leaving the sea. It's receiving, 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 but never giving, giving, giving. And because it's stagnant, nothing lives on the inside. I don't want your life to be receiving, receiving, receiving. I want us to be giving, giving, giving. And the more we give, the more God blesses us. And the more we refresh others, the more he refreshes us. Listen, everybody, if you're lonely, pretty soon you isolate yourself. Walls go up. You isolate yourself, and it's just you protect your heart a little bit more. You know, I don't know about people. I can't trust anybody. You walk into a room, and you're mad because nobody talked to you. You leave, and you act like, man, that whole room was clickish. <laughs> what a, how many people did you start a conversation with? How many handshakes did you personally shake? What happened to be, being friendly to show yourself friendly to have friends? I mean, what would happen? God forbid that we go out of our way to make somebody else feel comfortable. But when you're in selfie syndrome, this life is centered around you or me, 
It's, it, we become very lonely, very isolated, and then you become depressed. I mean, depression is a very real emotion. And, and, and God forbid that we get to a place where, where we, we reach out opposed to just focusing on us. And a lot of times you're depressed. Here's why. Because you're not making a difference in anybody else's life. We weren't meant to do life where it's all about us. Matter of fact, when we think about depression, thank God for doctors. Thank God for some medication to help some people. But can I be really honest? When depression is trying to jump on my life, I stuck in depression for a little bit, and I begin to say, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to serve other people. Every single person who's struggling with depression, thank God for doctors. Thank God for some medication. But there's some of you in the room that you could break that depression off if you just begin to serve somebody else, make a difference in somebody else's life every single day without expecting anything in return. Refresh others. God said, I will personally guarantee your own refreshment. Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good for man to be alone. We weren't meant to be alone and live in selfie syndrome. And Ecclesiastes 4 says this, that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Then he says, if one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Okay, listen. We always look at the one who fell down and make that scripture about the person who fell. What if we begin to read that and say, God, make me like the person who was there ready and able to do the lifting. What if we were the ones ready to get in the game? Luke chapter 5 has a great way of putting it. It's a story played out very practically. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there while Jesus was teaching, which by the way, these are the group of people that didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. So they, they weren't like amening him. They were like, mm-hmm, and waiting because they're trying to trap Jesus. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Say mat. Tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus, but the place was packed. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do so because of the crowd, they went up on the roof or the roof, depending on what part of the country you're from, and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, picture this for a second. You're having church. Jesus is teaching. And then all of a sudden, some dust starts falling on your hair and your collar, and you look up, and there are, there's a guy being lowered by some ropes right in the middle of service. This is exactly what took place. And the Pharisees, Lord, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, best knew this, girl, this guy heard all day, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this man think he is? Like, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And what they didn't realize was that Jesus is God. Can I hear an amen? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? You know Jesus is bad when he starts to answer, answer questions that they didn't even say out loud. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or I say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your bed, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. How many are grateful that sometimes God answers a prayer right in front of the people who never even thought it would be possible? 
right in front of them. They took what he'd been lying on, and he went home praising God. I should imagine he was praising God. And everybody was amazed and praised God. They were filled in awe, and all of them said, we have seen remarkable things today. Okay, listen, listen, listen. That man on the mat was blessed, but so were his friends. Because they did for him what he was unable and incapable of doing for himself. There's something powerful. There's something great in knowing that God has used you to bring somebody to Jesus. Listen, I believe there's only two positions on earth. One is you're either on the mat and you're in need of somebody carrying you, or you are the one carrying somebody else to Jesus. Those are the only two options. And look at this. That's the power of small groups. This guy, he was sitting there for God knows how long. This was his world on a mat of pain, inable, inable and incapable to move. But these four guys, they came over and they said, you know what? We see a guy who is incapable of getting to Jesus by himself. We're, he's disconnected from what God's doing. And they weren't living in selfie mode. They said, you know what we're going to do? Let's turn around and go out of our way. Let's be inconvenienced. They were willing to say, let's take some time. Let's take some energy and carry this guy into the presence of Jesus Christ by lowering him through a roof. Your friends may not be able to get there by themselves. Sometimes they're going to need you to carry them. If you love me, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then they lowered him, and Jesus healed him right in front of their eyes. Man, it's amazing when you can carry somebody to Jesus and you watch Jesus heal their family. He, you watch Jesus heal their life and maybe their marriage and maybe something in their life that was out of place. You come back and you say, God, thank you for using me to bring somebody to you. As I bring some friends out, let me explain this very practically. Let's say that somebody plops a squat on the mat and Noah... You can be the guy on the mat today. Let's clap our hands for my friends coming out on stage. There was a small group of people that day that helped carry this guy, that witnessed his healing. But let's say he's got some issues, he's got some pain, he's got some loneliness, he's stuck in life. No matter what it is, physically or emotionally or spiritually, four people, a small group of people, this would be easy. But let's say it was just one person, like Reggie. Reggie, try to pick this guy up and carry him over the other side. This is slightly awkward. <laughs> Reggie's been working out, little protein shakes, little P90. He's got to get a good grip, and now he's, he's bringing him over here. Noah, are you tucked in? Tuck and roll, baby. <laughs> okay, obviously this is not going to work. And if he did carry him, it would be very, very uncomfortable. Okay, let me show you what happens in the power of relationship and small groups, that when one person cannot do it all, Many people working together to do, do a little can do a lot. So all four of you guys grab on a corner. Come on, grab a corner, pick them up, and move them to the other side over here. Come on, one, two, three. Let's lift them up. Look at Reggie using one hand. You guys can just throw them off stage or wherever you want to put them. Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. Hey, listen. You saw the interesting analogy, didn't you? One person can't do it all. But the power of small groups. I wonder, is there anybody in the room today that you've been carried in life in a bad season? You remember when they prayed for you? Remember when they talked to you? 
Remember they walked with you? Remember when they visited you? Remember when they encouraged you? Remember when they loved you? What would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if we begin to lead small groups with that mentality, like, can we do this now for somebody else? Can God, can you use me? You need to know the thrill of God using you to carry somebody to Jesus and watching them heal their life. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to them to get in a position where you say, God, thank you for using me to bring somebody to you. And it changes your life in a powerful way to not live in selfie mode, but to come over here and say, God, I'm no longer just going to watch people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now do my part to carry them. In 1982, true story, there was Flight 90 on the Florida Express was leaving Washington, D.C., took off and crashed into the 14th Street Bridge. 74 passengers and five crew members were plummeted into the Potomac icy cold river. There was a bystander on that day that happened to see everything. And he moved immediately, ran down without hesitation, took his jacket off, jumped into this icy cold river and saved a mother. This woman was so excited. She said, my daughter's still in there. He went back and saved the daughter. He jumped back in the river a third time, saved somebody else. Jumped back in a fourth time, saved somebody else. Jumped back in a fifth time. He saved five people that day. And many other people drowned, but he saved five. Now listen to me. There was also another bystander that was close by with a camera. They began to videotape the whole thing. And it went live across the city. And it was actually shot live and it was streamed into a little apartment where a mom and two children, two girls were there and the mom was watching and she said out loud as she watched this man jump into the river to save five people's lives, she said, that sounds like something your father would do. Three hours later, they would recognize that was their father. Come on, is there anybody in the room that's grateful our father jumped in after us? <laughs> saved us. Well, now you have an incredible opportunity because there are hundreds of thousands of people who have crashed spiritually all over the Bay Area and the world. And you are now standing with an opportunity. What are we going to do? Because you have two options. We can stand there like the cameraman and just watch people drown and talk about how sad it was. Or we can jump in the river to save some people. I wonder what would happen if we stopped sitting on the bench. You know, a lot of people, they sit on the bench for so long in life. And they come to church, and they're like, hey, this, they watch everybody else play the game. They're like, hey, great shot. Oh, that was good. Hey, be careful over there. Love to give extra. Hey, listen, let me coach you a little bit. When you come over there, post up a little differently. And they're riding the bench, and they refuse to get in the game because they love to stay by the water boy where they can get their own refreshment anytime they want to. Can I tell you, God did not create you just to watch somebody else play a game. God wants you in the game. He didn't create you just to watch somebody else live their dream. He's given you a dream. He's given you gifts. He's given you passions. And what would happen if we said, you know what? I'm no longer just going to watch people on a mat. I'm going to walk over, and I'm going to grab a corner of, that mat, of the mat because I know there are people hurting. There are people broken. And, Lord, if I can be used by you, use me to help carry somebody in their pain, carry somebody in their brokenness to Jesus. Lord, Use me. If you love me, he said, feed my sheep. Get involved in the needs and the nurture of people. Last four points. Here's what we do. 
We just want to connect people to Jesus. How do we do that? Give them the password. Don't hide the password from them. Many of them don't even know they're disconnected. And the best way to do that is through relationship. Let me elaborate. If you play games with family or friends, you know this, that when you're trying to guess the answer to a game, you can do so a lot better and give a clue with somebody you have friendship or relationship with. Let me explain. I had our college students over and the leaders and the coaches all over our house a couple weeks ago, and we played some games. We were there playing catchphrase. And it goes around, and, you know, every other person is there, and they're all on a team. There's team one, there's team two. Now, my, it came to my daughter, Mariah. She jumps up because, you know, we love board games at our house. She jumps up out of her chair, and she's, she has a whole team, tons of people. But she doesn't look at the entire team. She goes to her sister because she knows her sister knows her so well. The relationship is so close that out of everybody in the room, she knows that her sister will get the password the fastest because of the relationship level that they have. And we're like, uh, hello, there's a lot of other people in the room. But that's the truth with telling people the password about God. The deeper your relationship, the more they'll listen. You can't take advice from somebody unless you have a relationship with them. You definitely cannot take a rebuke from somebody unless you have a relationship with them. But when you have a deep relationship with them, your heart is open. So that's what small groups are all about. It's the needs and nurture of people. And I believe today, many of you, and the whole message of, of today is to get you in preparation to fill this card out that was on your chair for many of you to step up and begin to lead a small group this next semester. They start February the 4th. You think that's Super Bowl Sunday? No, no, no. That's small group Sunday. This is the day that we're going to start small groups, and we're going to meet once a week for 13 weeks. Then we take a break. Then we come back, and more people lead different small groups in the summertime. Take a break. Then we do 13. So it's really easy. Our small group semester is 13 weeks, 6 weeks, 13 weeks in the year. And you, listen, you're like, what, what do I lead? I, I, I'm too busy. Don't add another meeting to your week. My life is my group. You need to know that. Your life is your group. You're like, well, what does that mean? What do you like to do already? What are your hobbies? Well, I like to play basketball. Boom, small group. I like to scrapbook. Small group. I think a barbecue small group would be amazing after the fast. Glory to God. I, what is it? What do you like to do already? I walk my dog. Great. We've had dog walking small groups. You're like, Sean, what's so spiritual about that? Well, you get together and you build a relationship with people, and then you're like doing life with them, and the deeper the relationship goes, you say, hey, can I pray with you about anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. Going through this on my job, boom, a God moment happens in the context of relationship. Can it be Bible study? Absolutely. Can it be prayer, worship? Absolutely. It really doesn't matter. You can almost gather for any reason. But the context is to build relationship. It's getting people who are on the mat and bringing them to Jesus. This is the next point, because you need to know this is how we pastor people. One man can only pastor probably about 30 people full-time. Some people come to our church and are like, that's a big church. It's not a big church. We are a small church with a lot of people. And the larger we grow, listen, the smaller we grow in the context of small groups. We ha I know there's people that they've gone to churches of 50 people. They didn't know a soul. They were disconnected. They've come here and they're like, I know more people here at this church because I'm in small groups. 
you got to get in small groups. You got to sense that because that's how we pastor people. This is a biblical example. Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, that's a great name, by the way. He tells his son-in-law, he's like, look, what you're doing is not good. You can't do this all by yourself. Select some leaders to be over 50s and 10s and hundreds and thousands. I want you to select leaders to help, help with all this. Ephesians 4 comes along and says, hey, guys, pastors, you're not to do all this. You're not even a minister. You're a pastor. Train people to do the works of ministry. Acts chapter 6 comes along, and the church is growing when it first was birthed. And then the disciples were like, man, we got to do something because there's a lot of need. And then they said, well, it's not good for us to leave the ministry of the word to go do all this. Let's, I know, I had an idea. Let's raise up some capable people to go love on these people. And they did, and the church exploded. You know, there's a certain benefit and reward that when you refresh others, you're refreshed. How selfish of me to keep all that to myself and not let you participate. So what we do at this church, we raise up small group leaders. And our small group leaders, they begin to pastor the people in relationship. I would love to have lunch with everybody. I can't have lunch with everybody. I'd love to be at every wedding. I'd love to counsel every couple personally. I can't do that. Matter of fact, if I did all that, you wouldn't like this church because I wouldn't be able to focus on what God's called me to do to raise up leaders. But we push people to small groups. Here's why. Because we know the power of God's plan that it is, it is now fulfilled through relationships and small group settings. People's lives are changed in small groups. Matter of fact, here's a story of a young lady whose life was changed in the context of relationship. Hi, my name is Sophia Byers, and this is my story. Life before Fellowship Church was, it was different. Um, I grew up around a lot of addiction um, from drug and alcohol addiction. Parents are divorced, um, so that was hard on me too. I felt like a lot of the responsibility of carrying the family was weighted on me. I remember kind of just feeling really alone Growing up, I always knew something was missing and I didn't know if it was because I was broken inside from the things that were going on. And I'd be in a room full of people and I still felt alone. I used to drink and it never made me feel full. And even trying to find other friends to be a part, sorry. I've also, like I know a lot of people have too, but just had like suicidal thoughts. And just like, I would just have nights even too, where I'm just like, do I even want to wake up tomorrow? One day I was talking to my dad. I was really upset about something. And my dad said, oh, that might just be a blessing. And so I was like, I kind of want to know more about that, whatever that means. And I remember going to church and really listening in to what Pastor Sean was saying. Two weeks, I was just crying all day. <laughs> And I, I just felt like so good. I just felt loved. It wasn't like a sad crying. It was like a happy, like I felt like something was right finally. And ever since I've gotten plugged into the church and then small groups, man, like joining the Freedom Small Group. I heard about people talking about freedom. And so I signed up for Kelly's small group. I, I just love talking about God with these women. And in this small group, I really just became so close to him. The connections I made with these women and seeing God through them, God has really taken like all of the scars and the emptiness and he's really turned it into something beautiful. I knew 
that those things were still hurting me, but I was always suppressing it. And through this Freedom Small Group, I just felt God kind of like digging it up. <laughs> and it was kind of like I was trying to push it down and God's like, no, like let's, let's work through this. Let's make it beautiful. He has changed my relationship with my family. He has changed my relationship with my friends, my relationship with myself, because I know how much God loves me. I'm so thankful for this church. Thank you for introducing me to God. Thank you for loving me back to, to Him and for Him loving me back to life. Come on, can we clap our hands? This precious young woman sharing her story. How has her life changed? Not just on a Sunday. She had some people grab a corner of a mat and they carried her to Jesus. What would happen if many of you begin to step out and say, Sean, I'm going to fill this card out even right now. I just want more information. I'm going to, here's the next step. Really, it would be attend a small group training. Let's figure out what this is all about. Let's see. Let's see if God might have something for me to do. We had Propel here and this room was packed with estrogen and a lot of women. And we had 84 new small group signups that said, listen, I feel like God's calling me to lead a small group. Now, there are certain requirements, and we'll tell you all about those and steps that you should take, go through the growth track and, and all of these things. We'll even assign you a coach. What's the worst that can happen? Nobody shows up. You got the night off. Big deal. But what if, you, what if you're able to change somebody's life like that for generations? Look at me, look at me, everybody. Where would that girl be if she didn't have a small group of people carrying her to Jesus? What if we had a, what if, what if everybody in her life was like, you know what, I'm too busy right now. You know what, I'm, I'm just gonna focus on me right now. Where would she be in 20 years? She said she was drinking, wasn't working, she was suicidal. But God intercepted her destiny in the context of relationships. I hope you're getting this today. If you love me, he says, feed my sheep. Now, I know not everybody's supposed to lead a small group. I get that. Some of you need to attend a small group, and that's wonderful. But a lot of you could, and a lot of you should. You can even do this with a co-leader. But find out. We'll tell you when the trainings are. Jump into a training, and I believe that this can be the best semester yet. Listen. We're not a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. It is who we are, and I believe God's going to use us to help get the password to people to let them know Jesus Christ can bring hope and healing. Come on, if you believe that, can you clap your hands and say a good amen? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over the room, maybe you're here today and you say, Sean, my life isn't right with God, but I need it to be. Maybe you've lost connection with God. Maybe you've never had the right connection with God. Or maybe you were once close to God, you had that good connection, but other things bogged down the connection. It's slowed down. Today you want to reconnect to Jesus. I want to lead you in a commitment prayer that you could pray right here in your seats. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. Whether you're listening here or in the family worship room or online, I believe God wants to change your life today. And on the count of three, if you say, Sean, count me in that prayer when you, when you pray, I need a fresh start with God. 
on the count of three, just lift your hand up and leave it up for a second. Come on, all over this room. One, two, three. Lift it up high. Yes, 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 yes. Just leave it up for a second. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, let's clap our hands, everybody. God, restore connection in their life today. Saw couples lifting their hands together. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, you speak to every life. Would you just pray this prayer out loud? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Today I give you my life. Forgive me from my sin and wash me clean. Be my Lord and Savior. Restore my connection with you. And help me now to establish connection in others. Would you just ask God in the quietness of this moment, Lord, should I lead a small group? You may not know which kind, but many of you are feeling that tug, the urgency of people's needs. Do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, I love you. And he's saying, get involved in the needs and nurture of people. What a powerful way to be refreshed, to refresh others so God can refresh us. Lord, I pray a blessing over our small group semester. Let it be the best one yet. I pray for life change and freedom to come like never before. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say good amen for everybody who prayed that prayer. Come on, let's clap our hands for everybody who prayed that prayer today. Great job.